to Speak Up, Speak Out. This is Olivia. Today, we will be hearing from Faisa Jama. Faisa, we are so excited to have you here today. Tell us a little about yourself. Well, my name is Faisa Jama. I'm 20 years old. I attend Portland State University, but I'm currently taking a break from school, and I'm probably going to go back in the fall. And a fun fact, I'm reading the autobiography book right now, Vashtada Shakur. Nice. Now, we'll start off with a pretty broad question. Tell us your story. Well, I have a pretty long story, so I'm just going to start from the beginning of what I can remember and just walk you through my process. My mom, before she had me or was married to my dad, she was married to her previous husband at that time and had two kids. So she had my oldest sibling, Hamza and Hamda. And then he died, their father died, and my mom got remarried. But within that time she was married to him, she applied for the visa to come to America. We already had relatives in America, so they helped us with that process. But we didn't get approved until my mom got remarried and had me and the rest of my six other siblings. So in a way, I felt like the wait was destined because God was waiting for my mom to meet my dad for all of us to be born. And then, you know, say, okay, now you guys can come to America. I don't know. I never really got explained to the reason why we had to move to Ethiopia to go through the process. But after finding out we were approved to come to America, we moved to Ethiopia and we lived in the capital of the suburb for about nine months. And it was, I mean, I knew I was coming to America, but I didn't really think too much of it as a kid. I was just living my life. And then finally, it was time for us to move to come to America. And it was pretty exciting And for me personally, it wasn't a very hard transition at that time because I didn't have close friends or close family members that it was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm leaving you guys because I was still young. So it was just like, okay, I guess I'm moving again. I was always a curious minded kid, very adventurous. And I remember the plane ride and I remember I almost got left in one of the cities that the airplane (laughs) took a break at because I remember everybody just left the plane. One of my siblings was like, where's Faiza? Where's Faiza? And they had to go back and get me. but. I wonder what would have happened if they left me because I didn't speak English to communicate. And then we finally landed in in Beaverton, Oregon. And it was just fascinating to see a different world. I've never had food besides Bidisin Hilip and Basta, which is pasta, rice, or goat meat. Um, I've never seen bridges. I've never seen like little tiny rivers. I've never seen other races. I've never seen like... Hispanic people, I've never seen Asian people, white people. All I was used to was just Somali people. Stairs was all we had, but moving stairs, that was a a different story. (laughs) And I remember we were standing at one escalator for like 15 minutes trying to get people on. Like, y'all just stand and just go up. (laughs) And like my mom had a really loose clothing. And I remember it got stuck in one of the stairs. And the whole escalator stopped. And like it brought so much attention. And I was just like, dang, y'all, like, can y'all just get hurry up already at this point? It was moments like that that really added a sense of humor to my story and that, you know, it's not all about just struggles or it's not all about, you know, leaving a worn, torn country. Like there was some beauty in my journey as well. We were just getting used to the culture, just seeing what life was like living in America. And then finally I started school and that I've never been in school when I was in Somalia because I was really young. And I remember my mom would always wake me up early in the morning, take me to my school bus And I remember for a long time, like sitting alone in the back by myself. It never felt uncomfortable for me. It just felt normal. I wouldn't say it was hard for me to make friends because I, I don't know if that's going to sound right, but I didn't care. And plus it was very hard for me to adapt 
to the way American kids acted because we were we, it was totally different than the way I was raised. Um, and majority of the time, I felt like they were way younger than me, even though we were the same age. For us back home, we were not pressured, but it's just the way of life. Like kids were very sharp. Kids were very mature for their age. And that's just how we were. And and I remember like times during recess, like I loved the game tetherball. I loved it, that game. It's a really fun game. Yeah. And I remember I never had to stand in line because I never got beat. And I felt like they were going easy on each other. And I was just like, if you want to play the game, like you're playing to win. So just play hard. But to me, I just felt like they were very like, I don't know how to describe it. Not just babyish. Whereas to me, I was playing it like my life depended on it. <laughs> and I remember I never had friends. I don't know why, but I was just that kid that kicks it alone. Every day after lunch, we would always have story time where we would sit at the carpet and she would read to us. But the thing is, I didn't understand English. So everything she was saying to me, it just felt as if I was deaf. I can hear you, but I can't understand you. So I said, you know what, I'm going to just get up and walk around. And I was a very observant kid. And I just, I was like, I, she's reading, but my mind is somewhere else wandering around the whole classroom. And then I remember I grabbed my backpack. I don't know why. And I picked up everything I liked and put it in my bag. And I don't know if that was just a cultural thing because back home, we can walk into anybody's house and grab food if we wanted. We can eat with them. We can play with their kids. We can sleep over if we wanted. And I just thought that was the norm. And then at the end of the school day, I couldn't lift my bag anymore because it was so heavy. It was full of stuff from the classroom. So the teacher took that bag and dumped everything out, plus my stuff. But I wasn't able to communicate with her. Then I moved to Portland, Oregon, and I went to school and at Rosa Parks. And it was a lot more diverse than my school in Beaverton. Now when I'm in spaces where there's not a lot of people of color, it's kind of uncomfortable in a way. But back then, I didn't really question it because I didn't even know racism was a thing. Sometimes I would get those funny looks like, how do you not know you're a person of color? But I came from a place where that wasn't a thing because everybody was one. We all had the same religion same language, same culture, same, like it was, so when, that was never, an, never a question growing up. And then in middle school, I started wearing the hijab, but when I'm at home, I would wear it, leave into school, and then when I'm at school, I'll take it off. I got so used to not wearing hijab, and I didn't fully understand the reason why I was wearing it. I wore it, and that's when the funny questions came in, like, oh, do you shower with that on? Do you go to sleep with that on? Do you always have to wear that? And also, like, getting questions from other young black girls, and that was very odd to me because it's like, you're the person I'm supposed to most connect with. Really put me in a position where it was harder for me to figure out who I was because I was already balancing two different worlds. Am I Somali? Am I American? Where's home for me? Where do I truly belong? Um, and then them asking me questions like, oh, you're not even black or you're just a dark skinned Caucasian or you don't have, you're not black because you don't have hair like us or you don't have nose like us. So, that kind of was, that kind of like confused me even way more as a kid to the point where I kind of shut off and I was just by myself majority of the time. And then it kind of led to having low self-esteem. And when I go home, not having parents to talk about because, you know, we're from two different worlds. They're not very American because they grew up back home in Somalia. So their Somalia is home for them. That's their culture. That's what they identify with. And then having that cultural differences and generational gap, and that confused me even way more. So I was totally, at this point, I was lost. <laughs> I was lost. I got to high school. 
it was a crazy beautiful journey as i got older i started figuring out a little bit more about who i was by getting in contact with wonderful teachers and at that time i was very passionate about becoming a doctor i don't know if it's because that's what my parents ingrained into my head so much but in an african household you only have three options four actually you're either a doctor a lawyer an engineer or a disgrace to the family i was very 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 passionate i really get joy out of seeing other people happy so that's why i think i picked that field but as i got older i started realizing no this is not what i want and standing up and speaking my truth and just saying no uh, i think business fits me more for college my first year i went away i went to nashville tennessee i went to an all black school and that was a personal decision i made i just wanted to get a different side of life kind of be around my people a little bit more and then i came back after i healed and i grew and i figured myself out and i go you know this is a very beautiful journey and i want more people to take part in this So I came back and um I got involved with the I am more program and it was it was a perfect timing with with the with the perfect platform because I am more stands for um making other resiliency experiences and understanding that you're more than the worst thing that happened to you and we all have a story we all have been through traumas we all have been through you know tragic things that happen to us but how can we turn those tragedies to trophies i have a voice for a lifetime for as long as i'm living i have a voice and my voice matters so that's kind of where i'm at in my life and everything else thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. that oh and one more thing i can today say that i am my own role model and in a way that's kind of powerful for me to say because not a lot of people can say that about themselves that's really powerful thank you The last question I will ask you is how would you describe yourself in a hashtag? Um I have two hashtags. Perfect. One is hashtag be fearless and hashtag be bold. And hashtag be you. <laughs> That's the three hashtags I would say because when you really put you first, serve you first, love you first and understand who you are first, it doesn't matter what people think about you. You're bold. you're fearless because you know who you are everyone remember that be fearless be bold and be yourself <laughs> thank you so much faith of course of course thanks to our viewers supporters of year and everyone who helped us create episode 5 of speak up speak out special thanks to faiza jama and wilson vidiner This podcast is made possible by a grant written and received by Nayantara Aurora from the Stevens Initiative through World Learning. Thanks to all the year members who helped with this podcast: Kylie Hurst, Olivia Call, Nayantara Aurora, Shimon Dasgupta, Maisha Hoke. This episode was edited by Olivia Call. See you next time.